0: Candy was my whole life when I was a kid. That was the first ten years of my life. I think the only clear thought I had was get candy. That was it. Family, friends, school. They're just obstacles in the way of the candy. I'm out for the candy here. I'm just thinking get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. That's why you have to teach kids not to take candy from a stranger if they're playing in a playground because they're such candy moron idiot brains. They're just This man has candy. I'm going with him. Goodbye. I don't care what happens to me. Get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. Get candy. Don't go. They'll torture you. They'll kidnap you. It doesn't matter. He has not old Henry. I have to take that chance. Get candy, get candy, get candy. So the first time you hear the, the concept of Halloween, when you're a kid, your brain can't even process the information. You can, you're like, well, what is this? What did you say? So what did you say about giving out candy? Who was giving out candy? Everyone that we know is just giving out candy? Are you kidding me? When is this happening? Where? Why? Take me with you. I've got to be a part of this. I'll do anything that they want. I can wear that. Hello,
1: folks. That was a famous bit from a friend of the show, Jerry what? Seinfeld, about Halloween.
2: He's a friend of our show?
1: Well, he might not know that, but I think of him as a friend. Oh, okay. We're here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: And I'm Chris Lackey. We're here on Patreon. And this is our bonus content show for October.
1: Yes, it's a big month for everybody in the horror biz, including us, because it is the month of Halloween, and that's our topic for today: Halloween. Why we love it, why it's fun, why you should love it, and uh, I think you're going to have a little history lesson for us as well, Chris.
2: I'm going to give it right to you, <laughs> <the> history.
1: <laughs> let's let's talk personal experiences first. I was trying to remember, you know, what's my earliest. Halloween memory and it, I think it's trick-or-treating and my mom was super cool she would make costumes for us yeah she would like go to the fabric store get patterns and then come home and sew them together yeah and she made me this sweet Batman costume oh nice but the thing I remember about it is I was loving it as she was making it and I was wearing it around the house getting ready for trick-or-treating and then when the day came we were gonna go outside and she was like put your shoes on now wait a minute this is Batman costume. I can't wear sneakers.
2: Yeah, come on. This is
1: Batman. And she said, I mean, you have to wear your shoes when you go outside. Put your <laughs> shoes on. And this infuriated me. Batman would never wear shoes. He wears boots. Yeah. And finally she said, you know what? I've got my snow boots. Can you wear those? And they were way too big for me. It didn't fit. And they were super 70s girly, like puffy, yeah. with fur up on the top. Awesome. For some reason. Totally made sense to me. I go, yep, there we go. <laughs> so, my, And there are pictures of me in the Batman costume. And the boots go almost past my knees. It's like some kind of weird... <laughs> your Batman.
2: Yeah, I don't remember my specific Halloweens. Memories are such a strange thing because I seem to remember stuff, but I think I remember seeing photographs of Halloween and not actually having any real memories of early, early Halloweens. I had a a booberry costume at one time. And it was <laughs> one of those. The
1: cereal booberry?
2: Yeah, yeah, the cereal booberry. It was one of those crappy, you know, plastic masks with a rubber band and then uh-huh. just kind of a, a poncho that said booberry on it. Right. My mom made costumes a lot of the time. I know she made me a kick ass Jawa costume oh, that's one good. year. Yeah. I think I wanted these store bought
1: things. My mom, she also made me a Dracula cape it was great
2: my mom made me one too had the
1: nice lining on the inside and and so I was Dracula very I, a lot of years I would just break that cape out over and over but later in high school one day because the thing was for a kid right so when I put it on as a grown up it kind of had that half cape Castlevania <laughs> Robin Hood kind of thing going on <laughs> and uh, one day in my goth phase I went you know what I'm gonna wear this to school I'm just gonna wear this cape yeah. that'll be cool not as a joke right. mind you not like people no. will think this is funny I go, maybe this will be my thing. I wear this little half cape. I walked in early in the morning. It was probably 7 in the morning. Walked to my locker. One girl saw me from the look on her eyes. It went in the locker and never came out again. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. This was a bad idea, dude. This cape is not going to be cool.
2: Oh, Well, at least you went for it. I went for it. I think I vaguely remember the last trick-or-treating I did where I was too old Mm -hmm. And I felt bad. You know, I (laughs) think I remember that. I don't remember what my costume was. People were kind of giving me dirty looks, I think. Yep. It's like, kid, come on.
1: There's one weird transition year where you're a little too big to be trick-or-treating, but you still do it. Yeah. And the grown-ups start giving you the stink eye.
2: What I really enjoyed the most out of the Halloween season is when I finally was not scared of haunted houses anymore. Like, I used to be so terrified of haunted houses that I wouldn't go anywhere near them. Yeah. I remember one year, I was way too old. I must have been like... 12. Sure. And there was a chainsaw inside which was the most terrifying sound like you would hear that chainsaw rev up and I just left. Yeah. I didn't go in the haunted house. I'm like nope not going in there I can't do it. And it wasn't until some of my friends I think it was my church group they were into doing it and I didn't want to look like a wimp in front of them so I'm like okay I guess I'm going in and I <laughs> got that great adrenaline rush where I was kind of scared but everybody was laughing and I'm like oh, yeah, nothing bad's going to happen. I'm not going to get hurt. And then it was from, from that point on, I was super into haunted houses.
1: I wonder, I actually have thought about this before. I wonder if people who enjoy horror stuff the way that we do in their adulthood mm-hmm. were particularly sensitive to it when they were kids. You would think I always loved it, but I was scared to death of everything oh, when my I was God. growing up. Yes. I mean, I was scared of E.T. Yes. I didn't want to see that movie. I thought it was a horror movie. Yes. But we went to the Wisconsin Dells on vacation, and my dad took me through a haunted mansion they had there. Mm-hmm. And it was all animatronic. It was wasn't. Wasn't even people jumping out at you. It was just little set pieces. And I cried and bawled so loud through the whole thing. It was ruining other people's good times. Like my dad went from being worried about me yeah. to being concerned, to being mad at me <laughs> because I was just shrieking. <laughs> and other parents were looking at him like, why did you do this to this child? Yeah. And then when we went to uh, Disney World, I wouldn't go in the Haunted Mansion. My dad and my sister went by themselves. My mom stayed out with me because I wouldn't go in there. Yeah. And uh, the most embarrassing was, was my friend Dan Kirk and my friend Mike Morell. I thought I was old enough. So I don't know how old I was, maybe 10. Their dad took us to a haunted house and I went through it and I I did go through it. Mm-hmm. it. Was I wanted to walk away? That experience that you're talking about, standing in line and hearing the people banging inside and the chainsaw. Yeah. Oh my God, I wanted to run. We went through it. I kept to myself, but it scared me so bad. After that, I just wanted to go home. Yeah. And I didn't know how to tell my friends who enjoyed it and were much cooler than me. So I pretended I was sick. Yeah. And they saw right through it. They knew that I was faking it. Oh. Mike's dad, who was driving us around, said, "Well, let's stop at McDonald's first." <laughs> get something to eat and then I'll take you home or I'll take these because they wanted to go to like three more haunted houses. Of course. They were mad because they had to divert themselves to take me home but then we went to the McDonald's and in the playland behind there they had like a little haunted house. Mm-hmm. It was uh, garbage bags over the slide and stuff and I was just out there eating a hamburger and some kid went down the slide and I go, ah! for uh, years after that those two guys would always go well here's something you gotta know about Chad he's so scared about haunted house he faked being sick so he didn't have to go to anymore (laughs) and then he went to the McDonald's haunted house and got even more scared (laughs) so it was a great moment yeah when finally I went and was like not only am I not scared I love this
2: I think I think you're right maybe it is kids that are more sensitive and more afraid that there's that turning moment that almost empowerment that you get and then it becomes sort of addictive like you like being scared because you know it's a safe adrenaline rush.
1: You conquered it yeah, and you can remember that fear you had when you were young still. Oh yeah,
2: definitely. How scary
1: these things were and so revisiting it it's like Peeking into your childhood a little bit, I think is the reason I still like doing it.
2: You know, haunted houses, that's kind of a new phenomenon of, you know, entertainment. Like, we're going to go to this place and people are going to scare you. Yeah. It started relatively recently. It was in 1915 in England, of all places. Because they don't, that's not a thing here, really. They've got a few of the carnival kind of haunted houses. And sure. this was one of them. Uh, it was called the Orton and Spooner Ghost House. And that was in Liphook, And it opened up in 1915. 1915? In America... It didn't start getting big until like the 1930s. And that was mostly in California Mm. for some reason. don't know (laughs) why, but California was the place. And it started to spread around the country and it didn't really get big until the 1960s. And then Disney opened up theirs, you know, the Haunted Mansion in 1969 and Not Scary Farm. They opened up their Halloween thing in 1973. And then the first Christian hell house you know what those are, but I sure. don't know if all of our listeners are. That's where they show you sinners in hell. Mm-hmm. So, like, they give you some kind of, like, you cheated on your math test, and then now you're going to hell. And they have, like, people dressed up like devils, and they're poking you with, with uh, pitchforks and things like that.
1: Well, there is some really gory stuff in those.
2: There's oh, those. yeah, yeah. Those things like are. Like the abortion room. and. But the first one of those was in 1972. Right. So I thought that was, like, a relatively new phenomenon. But no, no, that's been around for a while. They're not really big in England, and I don't understand why, because in our hometown, they were huge.
1: And I think a lot of that has to do with—so you're talking about this growth. I actually want to say that there, there was that 1915 haunted house, but I think we can go all the way back to 1802. Mm-hmm. In 1802, uh, Tussaud scandalized British audiences with an exhibition of wax sculptures of decapitated French figures. Ah, yes. Her likenesses were remarkably accurate. Because she actually had created death masks of some of the guillotine victims during the French Revolution. This was a permanent London exhibition, the Chamber of Horrors, and it's still there. And I think that that might be the earliest. Here's an actual place you can go to. Um, But the real boom in popularity, as you say, came after Disney and Knott's Berry Farm, things out here in California. But the JCs in America. Yes. Which is the United States Junior Chamber. It's kind of a leadership training civic organization mm-hmm. started running haunted houses to make money for the organization across the country. And that's who we worked for when we did haunted houses. Yeah. Those were the, you know, JC's haunted houses. It worked. worked, Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get paid anything.
1: But that spread all across the country so in, you know, in any little rural community we're going to have a haunted house yeah. probably run by the
2: JCs. Well, not just one, man. In our area that we grew up in, there was one for pretty much every small town. Like there was one in Moline, there was one in Rock Island, there was one in Davenport, there was one in Bendorf.
1: The first one I worked in was in Green Rock, which is not even a town anymore because it was just a little area between two (laughs) other towns. And it had its own
2: haunted house. I have to say one of my favorite Halloween stories that I always tell people is the time. And I was older. I was must have been 20 or 21 when I came back from college. Before I moved out to LA, Mm I was working in Haunted house because a bunch of people I knew were were doing it as well and it's fun to scare people. But the guy that was running the chainsaw, which was the most powerful of tools, and if you recall from my childhood, was scarring.
1: (laughs) Yes, I recall that from a few minutes ago. Yes.
2: The guy that ran the chainsaw, I told him, man, those things scared me to death, and he's like, hey, if you want to, if you want to be the chainsaw guy for a bit, that's cool with me. Mm. And I was like, what? Me? And he goes, yeah, be the chainsaw guy. And dude, I've never felt. So powerful in my entire life.
1: Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I
2: remember there were some frat dudes that came in. You start in the corner and you have it idling so it's really quiet. And then... You spin around and wave it above your head, basically, is what you do, and you just come at them. But these guys, they shrieked. One of them went, like, catatonic. His eyes were wide open, and he just went limp and just laid there, and his buddies dragged him out. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and that was the appeal of doing that. I mean, I never felt more powerful. At that point, when I first started working in the haunted houses, and I was 14, 15, you know, i have been beat up most of my life. Yeah. So to go in and put on a mask, and I, my first job, I was in the doctor's room. So I had, like, the body laid out with all the gore and the all guts. Oh, right, yeah. And we had built this kind of fake wall so that people, if they wanted to get through the room, had to walk up really close to the table mm-hmm. to get around the wall. Right. And I had a circular saw right. without a blade on it that was underneath the table. And so when they'd get close, I'd whip that and go, whew, and everybody would freak out. One time this woman got so scared, she grabbed that wall and ripped it <laughs> off of the other wall that was supporting it. And it tripped uh, some kind of electrical thing, and the power went out in the whole house. <laughs> so everybody was suddenly in the dark. I scared her that bad. It felt great. Oh, yeah. But it was mostly, it was the jocks and the, the drunk jerks that would come through who normally would have picked on me, yeah. who I got to see suddenly we in their pants. <laughs> that was the real
2: beauty of it. For all our UK listeners out there, the chainsaws have no chain in them, so they're completely harmless, but they still make all the noises.
1: You better hope that regulation is in place. I do have to say, actually, and that's a joke, but almost not a joke because definitely the place that we worked—no, nobody put a chain on the chainsaw. Okay, good, good. But they were not very well regulated. Oh god, no haunted houses because they're out there in the boonies, and a lot of the adults who are interested are like. I, they're probably guys like us, you know, but this was, this was also their time to socialize. So a lot of them are drunk by the end of the night doing adult things, you know. So they weren't really paying attention to what we were doing. Yeah, and I was just trying to explain to uh, Heather the other day about one of these adults. And I don't remember if you worked in the haunted house or not. We called her the Karate Kid's mom. <laughs> No, Which is so weird, it's weird and specific, but it was because she was from New Jersey. She was supposed to be – we were supposed to have security in the walls. Like if somebody got out of hand with us, yeah, we were supposed to be able to bang on the wall and somebody would come help us out, one of the grownups. Right. Well, they never were there <laughs> except this one woman. And she would try to participate and she would just go, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> And it was so not scary. I mean it was more like – sound like the Jerky Boys were doing a burn another room or something. It just it just failed. But anyway, yeah, it was – there were a lot of shenanigans going on and I remember there was – in Rock Island they had done a haunted house. Maybe I've told the story before but they had a little half car in there. They had like a Christine room mm-hmm. and when you'd go through, the, the, it was on some kind of pneumatic thing and it would kind of jerk towards you, yeah. the car, and then go back into place. Safe but scary. Sure. And the guys at the Green Rock Haunted House saw that and they're like, well, we got to have a car effect too. We have a garage in this building. Mm-hmm. So they just pulled a car in there. Oh my god! And they closed, and it was pretty closed up in there too. So it was full of carbon monoxide. (laughs) They would run that car, and there was a dude. And people would come into the room, and he would just drive at them, and then hit the brakes before he hit them. That was the security. (laughs)
2: Uh, uh, yeah, totally unregulated carbon monoxide. And he was drinking. Of course, he was drinking.
1: There were like bottles of vodka in the in the car over time that piled up in the in the passenger side. And he was wearing this devil mask that you could barely see out of. Wow. (laughs) So. He was drunk wearing that mask, breathing in toxic chemicals, and driving a car at teenagers.
2: And yet, nobody died.
1: That's why Halloween's fun, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. But speaking of that, there is this sort of thing that happens in your life where it starts with the trick or treating. I think the thing that's really beautiful, in all honesty, about Halloween is getting to know your neighbors. Oh yeah, having them give you candy and seeing your costumes. I mean, it's it's just on that night suddenly everybody threw their doors open. Yeah, people that you didn't see all year, you'd be able to kind of have a peek into their living room and see what they gave you. And sometimes it was that crappy, <laughs> crappy candy. Sometimes it would be like a sweet caramel apple or something. Yeah. So that's great. But then you get a little older and it becomes more about when you're a teenager playing some pranks, having fun. Mm -hmm. It's a night to go out and kind of raise hell. And then when you get older, it's like, let's act like kids again. Yeah. That's the fun of it. Go to a party and play dress up. But how did all this come to be?
2: Well, Halloween is the word. Halloween is a contraction of All Hallows' Eve. Hallows' Eve, Halloween, uh, which is also known as All Saints' Eve. And it is, of course, celebrated on the 31st of October. It is the beginning of a three-day observance called All Hallow Tide. Now, Hallows is another word for saint or holy, but when they talk about this, they're talking about the saints. But All All Hallows Tide is about the faithful dead, not just the saints as well. And this seems to come from the Christianification of the Gaelic Festival of Samhain, and that means mm. summer's end. It was harvest time. It's the day of the year where the there's as much night as there is day.
1: Samhain and Halloween are sort of the holiday representation of the notion winter is coming. Yes. It's 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 marking that time. Exactly. It's we're, we're transitioning the seasons. Samhain also an excellent band with Glenn Danzig in it after the Misfits. That is true. Well it's not true. It's not excellent. So
2: some <laughs> so some folks point out that there are similarities with the Halloween celebrations to the Roman feast of Pomona which is the goddess of fruit and seeds and also maybe the Festival of the Dead, which is called Parentelia. Brit Celts celebrated Calan Gief instead of Samhain, but uh, they're very similar, pretty much the same thing. Uh, up here in Yorkshire, the longest night we have, or the shortest day, winter solstice, is from the sun comes up at, at 8, 19 a.m. and then goes down at 3.31 mm-hmm.
1: 3. p.m. 3.30? 3. Yeah. The sun goes down?
2: that is correct.
1: In my child brain I'm like, you mean you'd be watching Scooby-Doo in the dark? Yep. It's so strange I th- I feel like we have all of these holidays to make that pill go down a little better, you yeah. know. <laughs> It's true, because it sucks. You know, it's so nice when the like here when it's light until nine at night, and then as it slowly gets darker and you, you feel a little more depressed. But then the holiday lights are coming out, mm-hmm. and there is this cheer in the air, and everybody's being nice to each other between Halloween and Christmas. We're just doing these things because it's kind of miserable outside,
2: right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. But during this time of year, and also during Beltane, which is the spring equinox, uh, it is said that the barriers between worlds are thin, and you would see more spirits and fairies. The is ishi- she or the she, as they call it, which is the fairy people, the fair folk. Some scholars say that these fair folk were basically the downgraded old pagan gods at the time. And so on Samhain or Halloween, you would pay tribute to the old gods and then they would help you survive through the winter. So you would leave offerings outside, you know, food or crops for those guys to come. But also at this time of year, the dead would come back to visit. There was also this tradition of at this meal, you would leave a place setting for the dead. So you would make some food and then have a plate and an empty chair so in case of any of your dead relatives showed up, there would be a place for them. And it sounds kind of weird, but in a way, I thought it was like a really thoughtful and touching kind of tradition because we all have family members that have passed. Yeah, It's pretty easy to forget about them, as in when you get caught up in your holiday activities. The fact that if you set a place, an empty place, that's going to really kind of force you to remember that There are people that are gone. Think about their significance in your life. The fact that one day you're going to be gone and you're part of this kind of ongoing tradition that is bigger than you. You're going to pass in and pass out and there's going to be other people that are going to come after that. I just was like, man, that's a very poignant, powerful thing to set that place at that table for those lost loved ones. I agree. Pretty cool.
1: I think that's... That is really cool.
2: In Britain, there's lots of uh, divination games that were played during this time of year as well. They would use nuts and fruits, but they were mostly about who would get married and like relationships. What do you mean
1: they would use nuts and fruits? Well, okay,
2: well, bobbing for apples. Oh, okay. So you would bob for the apple. You would get the apple out. They would peel the apple into one long strip and then throw it over their shoulder. And then what letter it kind of looked like, the apple peel on the floor, would be the first letter of the name of the person that you were going to marry
1: people are crazy <laughs>
2: people are crazy but they would also do you know other party games you know like Bloody Mary not Bloody Mary specifically but mirror gazing things where they would look in the mirror and try and see ghosts or see other people okay
1: that's what mirror gazing is is trying to see yeah yeah
2: and sometimes they would try and get divination, like maybe I'll see the image of the face of the person that I'm going to marry. A lot of these traditions are all about who they're going to marry. Yeah. I guess that was very important at that time.
1: That's what a lot of childhood games are. Sure. Who are you gonna marry? But
2: also bonfires are a big tradition as well. So the smoke and the flame would signify as a cleansing. The fires would also keep the cold dark winter at bay. It would also keep evil spirits away because, you know, light is a powerful thing to keep away the darkness.
1: I used to play this game when I was in grade school where I'd be like, whoever punches me today, I'm going marry <laughs> and that was actually it was a good because then guys I don't want to punch Pfeiffer he's going to marry me then. And then it worked for about a month and then they realized that yeah, I couldn't really predict the future uh-huh. <laughs> you pull away and I've got like five husbands they all are like goons that used to beat up on me that's right <laughs> they're all my wives now
2: also in Ireland and Scotland Wales there was a lot of mumming mm-hmm. and guising so mumming is this sort of fake fighting that people would do is like theater yeah so they would do fake battles and then one person would die and then like a, a holy person would come up and heal the person that was dead that's a whole other thing I'm not that's a side thing let's not get too deep into mumming <laughs> But guising is dressing up like other people, disguise, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But people would go from house to house and perform these shows hoping to get food. This tradition also might have come, the trick-or-treating tradition might have also come from people dressing up as the she, the fairies, or the souls of the dead and taking food on their behalf. If you would give food, you would be granted good luck and good fortune and you would survive through the winter. But if you didn't and you were stingy, you would get bad luck and probably die during the winter. So that's kind of the whole trick-or-treating thing sort of came from. Maybe because there are other legends as well. But sticking with the the Celts, there's the Irish folktale of the jack-o'-lantern.
1: Yes, the jack-o'-lantern. Where's that come
2: from? Uh, well, the jack-o'-lantern, there's the story where this guy Jack he encounters the devil and he tricks the devil into climbing up a tree. But Jack, he's you know, he's clever and he's a jerk. Jack is like a drinking, philandering, thieving kind of guy. And every man. And he... <laughs> He goes, tricks the devil to climb up the tree, and then he puts a cross on the tree and the devil can't get out. And he says, well, what do you want? If you get rid of that cross and let me get out of the tree, then I'll, I'll I'll grant your wish, basically. And he goes, well, I never want to go to hell because I know I've lived a terrible life and I'm destined to go there, but I don't want to go there when I die. So the devil goes, sure, whatever. So he lives his life, gets old, and he dies, but of course they won't let him into heaven they won't let him into hell. When he goes to hell, Satan is like, I, I told you, you're not allowed here. He picks up a, a hot ember and throws it at Jack. And Jack picks it up and puts it inside of a turnip. This turnip becomes his lamp where now he haunts the world with his glowing turnip trying to find a place to rest. So it's his restless soul that's moving around. That's the jack-o'-lantern. because Jack's lantern. Okay. Pumpkin thing didn't come around until the Americas because... All these traditions finally came over way later because the Puritans weren't into Halloween at all. Like, that wasn't their oh, of bag. So. They didn't like holidays, really. It's of the devil. These traditions didn't stick around until there was a bunch of Irish immigrants that started coming to America. And they brought all of their Sam Hain and Halloween <laughs> traditions with them. They were like, hey, these pumpkins are pretty awesome because they did turnips. Turnip was the thing. They would carve yeah. turnips put candles and that's what they did. But when they saw the the American pumpkins, they're like, these things are awesome. They're way bigger. They're easier to cut. These things kick ass. And so pumpkins became the thing. Now in America, they also had pumpkin carving, but that was part of the harvest festival in America. So when they would, you know, get all the food, have the big feasts in autumn, people would carve pumpkins. They would carve faces and shapes and things. Uh And and that, so that was the thing. So they kind of merged those two into our modern Pumpkin jack o' lantern.
1: I've never heard a better argument for immigration, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <of laughs> My jack o' lanterns that I enjoy every year are because we had some immigrants come over. And, you know, actually, when I was younger, Day of the Dead wasn't something that I even thought about at all, even though we had a fairly significant Mexican population where we grew up. Yeah, But in recent years, the festivals and the parades kind of rival, obviously I'm in Los Angeles, but I see that having more prominence now than it used to. And it's another thing I think is an amazing, it's kind of like what you were talking about with the empty chair. Yes. Taking a day to think about our ancestors and those who have come before us. Yeah. It's a cool tradition I hope continues to gain steam in
2: America. Well, with all, all Hallows Tide, which was celebrated definitely with Catholicism, so that's why uh-huh. all that stuff came over to Mexico. The first day of All Hallows Eve is with the spirits and the tricking and the dressing up and all that fun stuff. Right. And then the second one is All Saints Day, where you celebrate the saints. And the third day is just the loved dead, the dearly departed, the ones that have gone that you still care about. So that's a day of remembering and celebrating
1: them. That's not a holiday that celebrates the loved dead by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> See <I'm> Eddie <laughs> No.
2: <laughs> all Hallow Tide, obviously, that was the Catholic Church coming in and saying, hey, we want to make this Christian, so all of your pagan stuff that you're doing, we'll just kind mm-hmm. of change the names around, but we're going to make it a thing. Most of the Christianification of this stuff came around with Pope Gregory the Fourth in the early 700s. And he wanted to incorporate Celtic and Germanic traditions of honoring the dead before winter. But also, there's this funny thing. They were having all these pilgrims showing up in Rome in the summertime. They didn't like having so many people come up in the summertime. So they were kind of going, we need people to come in the autumn, in the winter, because uh, it, there's too much tourist activity. So let's take this holiday, this pagan thing, make it Christian, and then we'll hopefully get start getting people to come during harvest time. Right to visit Rome. Well,
1: a lot of holidays are created that way.
2: But then there's also this other thing. Now, this is light, much later in the 12th century. There were these days of obligation that would go on. So people would dress in black and ring bells and cry for the souls of people in purgatory. And this was called souling. They also shared soul cakes, which some people think that's where trick-or-treating came from, was this souling. So you would go door-to-door. People would give you these things called soul cakes, which Were just kind of like pastries and then you would go and pray for their departed loved ones that were in purgatory. So you'd uh. kind of work to get them out of purgatory. Now, by the 15th century, a lot of poor children would do this because they would get fed and they were starving and people would do this to go and pray for them. I think even Shakespeare mentions souling in Two Gentlemen of Verona.
1: I've never heard a more 90s band name than Soul Cakes. <laughs> ah. What about costumes though? Where's
2: that tradition? One of the cool stories, this is from uh, a Christian minister, this guy called uh, Prince Sorikanta. He wrote this, I'm, I'm reading this here. It was traditionally believed that the souls of the departed wandered earth until All Saints' Day. All Hallows' Eve provided one last chance for the dead to gain vengeance on their enemies before moving on to the next world. So in order to avoid being recognized by a soul that might be seeking vengeance, people would don masks and costumes to disguise their identities. Uh And it's also said that in the Middle Ages, churches were too poor to have relics. Now, relics are saintly body parts, I guess, Uh some kind of holy object. Uh Most churches couldn't afford to have them because they were coveted by wealthy people. So what they would allow parishioners to do is dress up like saints on All Saints Day.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) that's fun lame is there a St. Dracula no I'm (laughs) out also, but that's funny that you would disguise yourself so that the dead wouldn't come get revenge on you.
2: Oh, yeah, that's great.
1: But that would have been, I made terrible decisions then. I was, I already admitted, I was Skeletor, I was Dracula. <laughs> These guys have tons of enemies. Those are terrible disguises to put on.
2: But also, another weird thing happened in England with the Reformation that sort of killed Halloween. Guy Fawkes Day started being celebrated, which is on the 5th of November. Oh. A lot of the traditions that were part of Sam Hain and, and All Hallows Eve were sort of taken and used it so we have the bonfire that's a big bonfire thing
1: yes bonfire night yeah, Yes,
2: bonfire night candy and and sweets and all that stuff of course the irish and scots they were still into it but it's just the english that sort of went off on the whole
1: thing but bonfire night's kind of about blowing up parliament isn't it
2: well it's not about <laughs> blowing up parliament <laughs>
1: but you're saying oh i hate this guy who tried to do it yes right? that's it's real. burning an
2: effigy the guy that tried to blow up parliament because the catholics were being persecuted yeah and that was, you know, he was like kind of a Catholic, I guess, terrorist, I guess is what you would call him. But the Catholics were definitely being persecuted, terribly treated in England at that time.
1: I saw that uh, documentary about it, v for Vendetta. I know all about. It. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, that's it. You know exactly the story.
1: Yeah. I, I like this kind of stuff so much that the other night, I didn't know this existed. Mm-hmm. I discovered that people do walkthroughs of haunted houses all over the country on YouTube.
2: Oh.
1: So for about five solid hours... <laughs> We just watched people walk through other haunted houses that we didn't get experience. And I loved
2: it. It Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Also, I want to bring up something too. this whole uh, idea that candy, kids candy, getting needles and razor blades put in them and being poisoned and stuff is not really based in any kind of reality.
1: No, it was a big urban legend thing, and it actually crashed the Halloween industry in the mid-'80s because people were taking... They had. A, they actually had, I remember, you could take your Halloween candy and get it x-rayed at the hospital. Yep. That was like your last stop to go to because they wanted to make sure there were no razor blades or needles. Mm-hmm. But cases of this actually happening are pretty rare. Yeah. And, in fact, you'd have to poison the candy, really, because if you bite into a snicker bar and there's something in there, you're going to find out right away. Right. So even if you put something in there, it usually doesn't hurt people.
2: And they said that the instances of it actually happening were... Family members and friends doing it as pranks, right? Like those are the the actual recorded incidents. They're not strangers doing this to other people. And to me, that says a lot about community and that fact that people do this all over the United States and maybe other parts of the world and they aren't shitty about it. Yeah,
1: well, it's one of those things I feel like the media, not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I feel like a lot of media is dedicated to scaring the shit out of you mm-hmm. and making you suspicious of everybody else in the world. Yeah, It's like I said at the beginning of this episode, for Halloween for me really represents community. It's yeah. about getting out and getting to know your neighbors. And so, of course, what's the... Uh, man bites dog of that story your neighbors are trying to kill you we can yeah, sell papers with that yeah. and as a result it really did F up the Halloween industry in this country for quite a while it wasn't until the 90s that the holiday started building steam again and there's been growth year after year it actually has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. there are dedicated retail Halloween stores in every city in the country now whereas that didn't used to be
2: Well, Chad, I want to say I enjoy talking about Halloween. I could talk about it for hours and hours, but uh, we got to wrap this thing up. We do. I want to thank you for participating in this conversation, Chad. But more importantly, I want to thank our patrons.
1: I want to thank these people, Amber Reeves. Uh, we know Amber. She, Amber Reeves did. She did tables before. I love Amber.
2: Yes, yes, I remember Amber. Uh, Michael Valley, Jorg Sterner, Adam Alexander, Dan Pratt. Thank you, Dan. We know Dan. We met him. Yes, uh, uh, Dan's an awesome guy. Uh, Richard Wolf.
1: Richard Wolf. Thank you, Greg A. Helmberger.
2: Allison Albright.
1: Very funny, Allison Albright. James Pearson
2: and the Screaming Moist.
1: <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Congratulations on that.
2: A good one to end on our Halloween special that we're doing here?
1: Nobody wants the screaming moist. Yeah! Oh man, I don't even like saying it. Truly horrific. Well, that's all we have for this episode. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast Bonus Content Halloween Special. Only on Patreon.
0: HPPodcraft.com